engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. It is nine after the hour on the nose, no less. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Obamacare is no longer the law of the land, according to a judge in Texas. The Republicans went out and were able to find a judge in Texas that would overrule Obamacare. He did. I want to tell you why you shouldn't put a lot of stock in that, um, just based on the reasoning of the court, why you shouldn't put a lot of stock in that. But before I get to that, I actually want to spend time on a local story here in Georgia. And to do that, uh, we need to recount what happened in November. In November, and then in the runoff for governor, Brian Kemp was saved, um, or I guess there was no runoff, I'm sorry, in, in the runoff for Secretary of State and Public Service Commission. The Republicans were saved by rural Georgia. They lost the Atlanta suburbs, and in losing the Atlanta suburbs, they also lost um, a number of metro Atlanta seats to the Democrats. They Their majority was preserved because of the exurban areas, that is the areas just outside the suburbs that are uh, growing, but not really suburban. The 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 land, the lots are larger for houses and things like that. And then the rural areas of the state really came out for the Republicans. Uh, the metropolitan areas of the state were gone, and the suburban areas of the state were gone. Uh, but the Republicans won and kept their majorities in the House and the Senate because of the rural voters in Georgia turning out so overwhelmingly for them. So how are they going to? reward those voters who had their back? How are they going to reward uh, the Republican voters, the gun rights activists, the social conservatives, um, the people who support religious liberty, the pro-lifers, all those people who showed up to cast votes for the Republicans uh, in November? They are discussing how to reward those people right now. Uh, Over to you, Renee Unterman, quoted in the AJC is saying, quote, those social issues are extraneous issues, important but extraneous, and they're going to be pushed aside. Those bills on guns and abortion may be filed, but leadership is going to prioritize and focus everywhere. You've got to put the hardest issues first to lay the groundwork now on health care, rural broadband, and huge infrastructure changes. In other words, screw you, Republicans. We're going to try to lure the Democrats back instead of rewarding you for standing with us. That's exactly what this is. The Speaker of the House telling people he thinks that uh, religious liberty is dead on arrival in the House of Representatives. Renee Unterman in the Senate saying that bills on guns and abortion are going nowhere. Religious liberty dead. That's what your Republicans in the state of Georgia are doing to reward you for keeping them in power. The suburbs abandoned them. The urban voters have no use for them, and they've decided to give the people who got them back in power the middle finger and try to go lure people back to them. That's that's what we're dealing with here in Georgia. Uh, political genius at work here in Georgia. So you Second Amendment advocates who heard all the promises from Republicans that they would advance constitutional carry, they would advance other uh, pro-gun legislation, they would revisit campus carry, all those things. Nope, 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 to hell with you. 
you you religious conservatives who see the rise of uh, persecution of Christians in the country, the increased hostility. You saw Stacey Abrams out there campaigning, saying you you should be forced to do these things, and she's opposed to religious liberty. Guess what? The Republicans are now opposed to it as well. Yes. And what did Stacey Abrams campaign on doing? Expanding Medicaid in Georgia. And guess what the Republicans in Georgia are about to do? Exactly what Stacey Abrams wanted. Yes, that is how you're going to be recorded in this legislative session. It is important to note, it is not Brian Kemp doing these things. It is the leadership in the House and the Senate the Republicans in both of those, many of those Republican leaders are from the metro area. They have seen their colleagues in the metro area lose their seats. And so they're telling the rest of their caucus, no, 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 no. We're not doing all the things you promised to do because we want to be loved by the suburban and urban voters. You people have been played by the Republicans in the state legislature. We see this time and time again in the state of Georgia. And you know, this has happened nationwide as well. So the two organizations that, and I mentioned this before, the two organizations that have come out um, and they accredit Christian universities, their faith-based organizations. One is the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, Your church may actually give money to the National Association of Evangelicals. They have come out and uh, embraced adding uh, sexual orientation and gender identity to federal anti-discrimination laws. Uh, In exchange, they're hoping to carve out an exception in federal law for churches and faith-based organizations. So, for example, the teacher in Virginia who has lost his job because he refused to call the girl by male pronouns after she transitioned, he called her by the name. She legally changed her name to a boy's name, so he called her by that, but he just couldn't bring himself to call her a him because she's still a she. Uh, Well, he got fired, and under the National Association of Evangelicals Compromise, well, he would, he's out of a job. Uh, the, the baker in Colorado, Jack Phillips, will be forced to bake cakes. Um, I mean, they're capitulating. They're caving on the social issues. They're caving on the issues of their constituencies because they think they've got a better way forward, and they really don't. All of this is out of fear. What's happening with Renee Unterman and David Ralston and the state legislature is out of fear. The Republicans lost the suburbs in Atlanta. And so operating out of fear, they're going to abandon the people who got them elected and they're going to try to be liked by the people who rejected them. I would submit to you as long as President Trump is on the ballot, it's going to be a very difficult play for them, but they're going to try anyway. They want to focus on quote unquote pocketbook issues. Now, Republicans in Georgia have a funny way of making pocketbook issues corporate issues. They, they've equated pocketbook issues with major corporations. So they'll continue to whore out the taxpayers to lure Fortune 500 companies into Georgia at the expense of uh, local companies. They will continue to make promises to those who would not pee on them if they were on fire, hoping to get those people to finally like them, and it's never going to happen. Time and time and time again, the Republicans do this. They have an opportunity to reward the voters who got Brian Kemp elected and kept them their majorities. And they're not going to do that. They're going to give the middle finger to those people while they try to lure back the suburbs. You know what? Maybe, just maybe, this is a wild, radical idea, I realize. 
But maybe one of the things the Republicans in our state legislature should do is keep their promises. Maybe, just maybe, the people who vote would like them more, not if they avoided those icky social issues, but if they kept their promises. Because if you look around and you see all of these Republicans who campaigned on uh, enacting the Religious Liberty Restoration Act in Georgia or expanding gun rights in Georgia or passing pro-life legislation in Georgia or school reform in Georgia, you see all those candidates who promised that now say, no, 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 now that we're elected, we're not going to do that. Well, those suburban voters are probably looking at them saying, wait a second, if you're lying to the people who got you elected, how can we believe you? And the answer is simple and obvious. You can't believe them. So why waste your time with the Republican leaders in Georgia if they're just going to lie to keep getting elected? That's really the problem here. And that's really the problem that we as Republicans in the state and as conservatives in the state are going to have to deal with. And again, it's worth pointing out, this is not Brian Kemp. This is the Republican leaders in the legislature. Maybe it's time for a shakeup there. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Let's move on, shall we? I, I'm, I'm honoring a request to my listeners. I've had so many of you who have asked. I'm going to do it uh, on Wednesday. You know, I've started doing this weekly uh, email of a recipe, um, not selling your lit, not selling your emails or anything like that. Just every Wednesday. Uh, it is my contention that as we become more and more divided as a nation, uh, one of the best ways to bring people together again is around the dinner table and around food. Uh, food should not be political. And there are people now trying to make it political and I am trying my best to push back against it. But all these stories about the crazy uncle in the attic and, and what to do about fights over the holidays. If you, you shouldn't be fighting about politics, talk about food, talk about the recipes, talk about family, things like like that. Avoid politics. Uh, politics has become all-consuming. I should read you guys. Um, I had to got asked to submit something to a new publication about my view of conservatism. I guess I need to read it to you. Uh, but I, I'm a big believer that food unites. And I've had so many people say, please, 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 can I get your famous cinnamon roll recipe? It's not that famous, but it is really good. And you can make it at home. If I can make it, you can make it. Trust me. Uh, so on Wednesday at noon, I'm going to send out my cinnamon roll recipe to the email list. If you want to get on the email list, make it very easy for you. Text the word recipe to 345-345, the word recipe to 345-345. And on Wednesday at 12.15 p.m., I will send out my cinnamon roll recipe so y'all can make it over Christmas vacation. Also, well, we'll get into the Christmas show later. Right now, let's see. Do I have time? Uh, yes. Uh, Joe and Marietta, you're next. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. Thanks how are for you? taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question for you, and it's really around uh, building the wall. Yep. And why someone hasn't started a GoFundMe page, because just as there were... Back in 2016, a lot of people that did not openly say they would vote for Trump showed up at the polls and voted. There's a lot of people that want the wall built and would give money to have it built. 
Yes. Some of them may even be Democrats. Well, and, you know, I have said for a long time, if you look at the number of people who voted for the president and each of them contributed 100 bucks, you could pay for the wall. Um, I, I don't know about the terms of service of a GoFundMe account, whether or not it would actually work. Um, I sus- I wish though that the president would do something like this through the IRS, through GoFundMe, through something and allow people to do it. I have suggested it repeatedly to no avail. When we come back, Obamacare been declared unconstitutional. I've got the details for you. My goodness, uh, 215 people want that cinnamon roll recipe. <laughs> oh, the subscriptions are still coming in. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I will send it out on, on Wednesday, 1215. It's good you're subscribing now. The phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Obamacare has been declared unconstitutional by a judge in Texas, and it is amazing. You know, it, it very much, it, the reason that I put this second is so you can see nationally uh, what we're talking about in Georgia with these Republicans who got elected on all sorts of promises now saying, to heck with you conservatives, we're, we're not going to support you. Well, now we're seeing all these Republicans who for years have said, we're going to repeal Obamacare, we're going to repeal Obamacare. A judge does it for them. They're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, you know what? They should keep it repealed. Go backward. Stay where we were. Um, it was okay. We were fine. Uh, Democrats made a big deal about how awful it is, but it actually, the status quo before Obamacare was not awful. And you got Emmanuel, um, what's his name? Um, Zeke Emanuel. He is Rahm Emanuel's brother. He is the author of Obamacare, and well, he was on CNN basically talking up Obamacare. Two of the most recent polls of Republican voters suggest that over half of them are for Medicare for all. That's how far things have gotten. Um, it's not just that Democrats are for Medicare for all. Even Republican voters are like, they're threatening my health insurance. I might not be able to get health coverage if I or some other member of my family has a pre-existing co- uh, condition because... It'll be too expensive. We need safety, and safety sounds like Medicare for all. They're not taking that away. You know what? So you know what? You know what? People want Medicare for all because they've screwed up health care so bad, and people don't think we're going to get back to a free market. So, like, you know, we might as well go all in instead of half measures. But, I mean, that's what's going on here, and I don't actually believe there's a poll that that many Republicans want Medicare for all or Medicaid for all. Um, but they're trying to use this to say, you know, Obamacare lowered costs. Now we need universal socialized Medicaid. Here's Don Edwards, uh, Congresswoman Edwards, also on this. Uh, maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that audio here in just a minute. Um, Democrats are going to use this as an excuse to go full-on socialist health care. There are people who live with chronic conditions, 133 million Americans with chronic with uh, conditions that are pre-existing who are going to be in jeopardy of not having their health care. Now, look, uh, right now, people should know that their health care is fine. Uh, they signed up, and if they did through 2019... 
this is going to make its way through uh, through the courts. I believe that the um, that the Supreme Court is going to strike it down. I know that Democrats in the House are planning to intervene as soon as they um, get into the majority. And I think it's important to defend this law. I mean, people ran um, and lost races on health care, on protecting pre-existing conditions, on making sure that prescription drugs get uh, get covered. And now uh, one judge decides that rather than be a judge, he wants to be a legislator, uh, legislating from the bench to rip health care away wait, from wait. Americans. That's what I you people want. That's what you people want. You, you want judges to legislate from the bench when you don't get your way. And now you're upset with it. You said the precedent. The judge is just complying. And he's making John Roberts, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, eat his words. So John Roberts said that Obamacare was constitutional because its funding mechanism was a tax. The individual mandate was a tax. Even though Barack Obama said it wasn't a tax, it was a tax. This is kind of the irony here of, of people now um, saying, you know what, we got to hold the president's words to him in court because the Democrats back during the Obamacare case were like, no, no, no. Uh, the, the the president said it was was not a tax. We, we can't make it a tax. But you know what? We'll make it a tax if that keeps it constitutional. It's okay. Now they're like, oh, President Trump said he's going to get the Muslims. We we got to bind him to it. Um, it's just hypocrisy. But what John Edwards decided was that the entire Obamacare scheme survived because it was a tax. They couldn't do it under the Commerce Clause, but they could do it under the Tax Clause. Well, the Republicans got rid of the individual mandate. Therefore, a judge in Texas has said, hey, John Roberts said this is constitutional because of the individual mandate. Well, the Republicans have gotten rid of it, so it's unconstitutional now. Except there's a problem, and this is why he's probably going to get overruled on appeal. The Republicans no longer require you to pay the individual mandate, but you still have to pay the individual mandate. Huh? See, they didn't actually strip out the individual mandate mechanism. It's still there in the law. They're just no longer making you pay it. So it's still there, which means Obamacare is still constitutional. You're just no longer penalized if you don't pay the individual mandate under the tax code. But you're still supposed to pay it under Obamacare. So, yes, the judge is right. The Republicans got rid of it, but they didn't really get rid of it. They just made it so you can't be punished if you don't pay it. And that was how they got rid of it. Uh, they are going to have to force changes, though, because the Republicans getting rid of your requirement to pay the individual mandate destabilizes the system so much it's going to force a change. And the Democrats' solution now is government-socialized universal health care. Good luck with that. It is 55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Let's see. Yes, I've got time to go back to the phones. Arthur from Madison. Welcome. Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, uh, subject Social Security. I reached age 70, still working. And if they would allow us after 70 to knock out one of the low years, I'm actually taxed Social Security $50 a week. That's $200 a month. If they'd knock out one of the low years, that would actually be helping the government, maybe 2 to 5% of us guys that could encourage to keep working. Listen, I, I have basically, and, and it has nothing to do with Social Security. I just love my job. So I, I suspect I'm going to be working to 70 or later, and, and that's commendable of you for doing so. I 
just don't think Social Security is going to continue to be solvent. I mean, I really don't. And despite all the the supposed lockboxes and pledges and promises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I think one of the things the government just needs to do is go on and means test Social Security. Do Warren Buffett and Bill Gates really need Social Security? Now, if we want to continue to believe that they paid into the system and they should get something back, okay, yeah, I, I get it, but it's going to go bankrupt. We got to do something. And that is probably the fight we need to have before Democrats rush into Medicare for all and really bankrupt the country. We've got a huge spending problem in this country. When we come back, uh, you know the story about the child who died when she got into uh, border control custody? Well, the facts are not as the left would have you believe. And now even the father is coming out and actually not condemning the care received. There's more to the story than much of the press would have you believe. I'll tell you what I know. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, You have no doubt heard the stories about the child who was taken into custody at the border by American agents and thereafter died. The original news story was that uh, she was in medical distress for five hours before dying and never got help. The next story was that uh, she was in care for 90 minutes, and none of those things are actually true. She came in dehydrated, uh, on the verge of death. They got her attention as quickly as could as they could, and she still died. I do want to play for you this excerpt from CNN on this particular story so you have some idea of CNN now. Actually, Jake Tapper at CNN deserves just a ton of credit because Tapper has really pushed back against even people in the media on this story. The father has told officials he has no complaints about how Border Patrol agents treated him and his daughter and that he believes everyone around them did everything possible to save the girl's life. The girl's death has sparked intense criticism of the Trump administration's immigration policy. Critics argue migrants are being kept from entering through legal checkpoints to request asylum and pushed into remote, dangerous areas. What happened with this child really goes to show just how damaging these policies are for these families. Trump administration officials have criticized the father for putting his daughter in such a dangerous situation. Immigrant rights activists say the blame is unfair. How exactly is the blame unfair? First of all, the Trump administration really did nothing different from the Obama administration, and that's getting lost in this conversation. When the Obama administration dealt with these uh, caravans coming north, they also sealed the border and tried to funnel the people through particular areas. There were people who did not go into those areas but tried to get around them through the desert, and many of them died including now this girl here when the Trump administration did what the Obama administration did. That is being left out of so many of the conversations in these stories that this administration is just deploying the policies of the prior administration. You would never know that from much of the rhetoric. 
Now you've got the political activists on the left saying that Trump is to blame for this girl's death, not her father. I do have a question. Maybe someone who blames the president for this uh, could, uh, could answer the question for me. Who is more to blame? The president of the United States who secured the American border or the father who carried his daughter across multiple countries into the desert, through the American desert, before being stopped by Border Patrol agents. Who, who deserves more blame? The president securing the border or the father who did this? Because all the people saying that it's, it's victim blaming here. No, no, no. No one's blaming the girl. She died. They're blaming the father accurately, I think for carrying the girl on this journey. It is a fair point. Indeed, it is a very fair point to say, if he did this, my God, how bad can it be where they're from? It is a fair point to say that. Maybe keep God out of it, but it's a fair point. What are they fleeing that is so awful that he would risk his daughter dying in the desert to get away from it? But that still doesn't excuse the fact that he decided to go in that direction instead of going to one of the security checkpoints where they could be processed and still they were caught. Uh, what if they weren't caught? What if they were able to avoid it all? Uh, his daughter still would have died uh, and he would not have her body now. She would be in the desert somewhere. I mean, it, the whole situation is awful, but let's keep the political rhetoric out of this particular situation and focus on what happened. And the whole situation's terrible, but Donald Trump is not to blame for this, nor are the Border Patrol agents. And so much of the media wanted to rush in and blame them, they got the basic facts of the story wrong. And now at least the father's coming forward and saying, no, you know what, the Border Patrol didn't screw this up, uh, which is, thankfully, uh, he was willing to do. Okay, y'all, listen, don't at me, as the kids these days say. There's no reason to call the program and yell at me. I know some of you disagree with me, but I'm going to say it again anyway. We as a nation need to realize that we need to come up with a solution to deal with disturbances in the Western Hemisphere causing these caravans to move north. And that will require foreign policy intervention. It will require money. And ironically, we could do all of this cheaper than what the lowest estimates are for the wall. Now, before you call me and start screaming about facts and foreign aid and all that, if you take, um, in fact, you know what, let me, I want to make sure I get all the countries right because the last time I did this, I didn't, and I got yelled at, and it's been a very long time since I did that. Um, so I want to make sure I get it all right. Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua. If you take those countries, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Mexico, I'm leaving out Belize, I'm leaving out Costa Rica, and I'm leaving out Panama because they are typically not the countries that are uh, sending migrants in this caravan through Central America. Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Mexico. Our combined foreign aid to those countries is $900 billion, $900 billion. Most of that aid 
is aid, well, it, it's all skewed somewhat because some of it is military aid, um, but you do have USAID aid going into these countries. You don't have a ton of economic and you don't have a ton of law enforcement assistance going into these countries. The people are fleeing these countries because they're being overrun by MS-13, they're being overrun by drug cartels, um, their governments are corrupt, and the wall will cost $5 billion minimum. That's what the Republicans are allocating for. I personally think it is ridiculous, totally ridiculous, that a wall should cost $5 billion. Uh, that's garbage, but that's our federal government at work. So the wall minimum estimate is $5 billion. The current aid allotment for the Central American countries is $900 million, million with an M. We could double the foreign aid to these countries and still have a runway longer than the cost of the wall to try to get in there and help deal with these issues. Now, I know I, I can I can feel it in the force. You're screaming, these are corrupt kleptocracies, we're wasting the money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say you build the wall. Let, let's say President Trump is able to convince the Democrats next year to build the wall, Okay. What happens when a Democrat becomes president again? Do you really think he's going to keep the wall closed up? Do, do you really believe that? Or when the next caravan comes through, he's going to show Donald Trump's no longer president, or she is going to show Donald Trump is no longer president, and do so by opening up points in the wall for the caravans to come through for people to claim asylum. I'm telling you, I am convinced it is a worthwhile investment for us to try to find a way to work with these countries, to shut down the problems in those countries, forcing fathers to carry their daughters through the desert to their death to escape the problems in their homeland. Now, people don't like my suggestion of we should go in and we got in some of these countries strongman dictators. We should back strongman dictators who support us in the free market. People don't like that suggestion, but that's my suggestion. We should support democracy where we can, but let's not go in a nation build. If these countries have strong men, we'll prop up our own strong man. But we got to do something because these problems are going to keep coming. And at some point, we're not going to have Donald J. Trump, president of the United States. We're going to have Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, some Democrat who is going to want to show people that there's a new sheriff in town by letting these people in. It would be far wiser of us to invest some time and money and try to solve this problem because you know who else is trying to help them? China. Do you really want China to solve this problem in the Western Hemisphere, in Central America, and in exchange get rights to build military bases in the Western Hemisphere? Because they're trying. We better do something. Okay, this is important. It is. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Uh, let's go to the phones. Trevor from Valdosta, welcome. Hey, Mr. Erickson. I just had a really quick question for you, and then I'll wish you a Merry Christmas and get off the phone. Sure. Um, my question, I really like your show because it's very logical, and I've been doing research on the individual mandate recently, and I noticed that um, the like since the individual mandate has been repealed, Obamacare has really suffered. And I think logically it's just because because there isn't that penalty anymore, a lot of people aren't signing up for Obamacare anymore. 
And I just want to hear your opinion on that. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. Um, the answer is no. Uh, and I can tell you the answer is no because the individual mandate repeal doesn't go into effect until next year. So to the extent that there have been problems with Obamacare over the past year, it has nothing to do with the individual mandate repeal because its effective date is not until next year. Uh, so it may be that the sign-up period is happening right now for Obamacare in November, beginning of December. Uh, but you, it's the earlier problems uh, that we really have the data on that are that are at issue. What is a problem is that the underlying insurance regulations within Obamacare have shut out a lot of insurance companies. Those insurance companies that remain have risen, have raised their prices. And then you have a, a hodgepodge of, of Medicaid, Medicare issues around the states uh, and the federal government trying to fund them all. That's the problem. The bureaucracy that Obamacare has caused and the paperwork and the insurance requirements and the insurance companies fleeing the Obamacare system uh, have risen prices. And, and I know the Democrats like to say it's lowered prices, but it hasn't really when you take the entire system as a whole. They're just snapshotting the poorest of the poor, not the whole system. It is 39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. The phone number here at Atlanta's Evening News is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to play a clip by Matt Lewis uh, from the Daily Beast. He and a CNN contributor, a uh, longtime friend of mine. He was on CNN, and he was talking about... Uh, the Democrats, the Mueller investigation, how it's all going to play out. Uh, some wise words Democrats need to take heed. And I do think it's entirely possible that if you're a conservative and you're in that bubble and you're just reading and watching conservative outlets, that you would think, oh, this is nothing. This is just a witch hunt. Well, guess what? Something may come out of this. There's a lot of problematic things. And who knows what's going to shake out when Mueller issues his findings, but I think it's healthier and safer. It'll keep you sane to be prepared. And I think that conservative writers especially need to preserve uh, respect and legitimacy. And if you if you fall for some spin coming out of the White House that this is all a witch hunt, you're going to end up ruining your reputation going forward. Yes. If you believe this is all a witch hunt, you're going to end up uh, with your reputation in tatters. At the same time, if the Democrats think that this is the silver bullet to get the president, they've got another thing coming. And there is this growing uh, fever dream by the Democrats that Robert Mueller is going to end the president for them in a way that they themselves cannot do, that this is going to be impeachment, that he's over, uh, then they'll get Mike Pence after that, Nancy Pelosi will become president. It's not going to happen. If all we've got is the president is covering up money to porn stars, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because that happened before the election and really did not shape the election, if we're honest about it. The president also had a propensity of doing it for a number of years, uh, even before he was on track to get elected, 
president. The president has a pattern and practice of paying off women to keep them quiet for their affairs. Now, this may affect evangelicals in 2020. I doubt it at this point because the Democrats have gone so far off the deep end in their culture war antagonism of of Christians and conservatives. I think, if anything, there are a lot of people who are going to hold their nose and vote for the president in 2020, myself included, because they're looking at the the abject hostility of the Democrats and they're thinking, you know what, I, I don't want to go anywhere near this. It is not going to be a silver bullet for the Democrats. At the same time, I think Matt is right that there's more there there than we know. The president's campaign manager has been found guilty by a jury. The deputy campaign manager has pled guilty. The president's personal lawyer has pled guilty. Others on the campaign have either pled guilty or been found guilty, and more are going to trial or or taking pleas. That suggests there's something there. And if all of these people around the president are taking pleas or being found guilty, at some point it's going to point towards the president, and he's going to have to figure out whether or not he can do damage control to overcome this. And there's another angle on this that I think everyone is ignoring that we need to talk about. We have the issue of the Senate. All you need in the House of Representatives is a majority vote to impeach the president. It then moves to the Senate for trial. The Republicans are going to have a 53-seat majority, but news is out today. Lamar Alexander, the senator from Tennessee, is not going to run for re-election. That suddenly means that Lamar Alexander, who's always been a bit of a moderate, probably is going to be more sympathetic to the Democrats. You also have a number of Republicans, uh, Susan Collins among them, who are not huge fans of the president. Would they vote to impeach? You may not be able to get two-thirds of a majority, but let's be frank and honest. A majority of the Republicans in the Senate do not like this president, and they would not shed a tear for Mike Pence to be president, and they are mind-numbingly enraged that this president doesn't seem to understand that he played a role in a lot of the Republican losses. Here is the other issue Republicans are going to have to think about come 2020. Redistricting. Whoever wins in 2020 controls state legislatures and controls governor's mansions. They're going to be redrawing the lines for congressional districts. And Republicans are going to be having to calculate all these things. Now, if I had to guess today, believe it or not, y'all, I was on TV. I was on Al Sharpton show on MSNBC yesterday. I kid you not. Uh, it was It was odd. Um, but as I said there, you know, right now you don't have the votes in the Senate to impeach the president. And if we learned one thing from Bill Clinton, what it does is it causes a lot of people to rally around the flag. So though the Republican support for the president is at 70%, that's actually bad news because it was at 90%. You're going to see a lot of people rally around the president if the Democrats go rushing in to try to impeach him. And, you know, to some degree, I wonder if maybe the president and those around him are starting to think, let the Democrats do this. It's going to do nothing but help him with his reelection campaign. I think it will help his reelection campaign. It is 54 after the hour. Um, I am in the process of getting the Christmas show ready. I think 
Um, most of you probably know I've been in seminary now for a couple of years. I actually moved from the master's program at RTS up to the uh, PhD program at Southeastern Baptist Theological. Uh, one of the, I mean, the main reason I decided to go to seminary is kept getting asked to to preach and was declining invitations and decided, you know, this is probably the God's hint that maybe I should go to seminary. So I did uh, and have been studying up on church history, really trying to boost my knowledge of it beyond just the, the books of the Bible. And it's just fascinating stuff. And we'll have a lot of that in the Christmas show just on, I mean, for example, did you know there are 5,700 uh copies of New Testament text from the first couple of hundred years of Christianity. Uh, Most of those actually come from within the first hundred years of Christianity, which really prove false the idea that uh, the Gospels were written way later than the fall of the temple in 70 AD. Um, No, most of the texts come from around that time. They were clearly in wide circulation, just fascinating things. We'll be talking about that in the... um, in the in the Christmas program. So if you want to make sure you don't miss it, because I know a lot of you will be traveling, if you text the word show, S-H-O-W, to 444-999, uh, text the word show to 444-999, uh, you will be able to subscribe to the podcast. I'll send you back a link to iTunes and to Google Play so you can sign up for the podcast of the show. Um, have you guys heard about the story about the Titanic? Uh I remember as a kid when the Titanic was found. Uh, I was young, or I was really young, but I remember the story. And it turns out that the story was not true. Turns out it was a Defense Department mission to locate two sunken submarines that had nuclear reactors, nuclear missiles on them. And the cover story was to find the Titanic. And they were able to find the Titanic on the last day of a 12-day mission. Well, now what's even more interesting is that the the man who discovered the Titanic says one of the things that hasn't been revealed until now is that it, it appears there was a terrible fire on the ship, and it was the fire melted the bulkhead, and that the ship actually probably would not have sunk except for the fact that the fire had weakened the structure, and they were shoveling coal into the furnaces to get it out of the way so it wouldn't catch on fire, which made the ship uh, was moving faster than it should have been moving. Help was on the way. It had actually been summoned, we now know. But it was too late when it hit the iceberg. Uh, fascinating. New stories about the Titanic revealed this week. It was a CIA mission that caused it to be, or a Defense Department mission that caused it to be discovered. 